Hey guys, we are so glad you're here with us at Journey Church Online. If you're interested in getting more information about Journey Church, we have a messaging service where you can text the phrase, My Welcome to 94000. This will help you get to know a little bit more about Journey Church. Also, if you want updates texted to your phone about what's going on here at Journey Church, please text the phrase, My Journey to 94000. As we get ready for today's message, take a minute and share this video with someone. The small action of sharing this video on social media could be the start of life change for whoever sees it. Good morning. It's certainly uh, good to see all of you here today. I appreciate Brother Mike inviting me to be a part of the men's retreat and get to preach to you this morning. Uh, I know this has been a really good series. I watched the message last week, and uh, I can't begin to improve on what Brother Mike did, but... I'm going to touch a few highlights that maybe we'll drill down just a little bit deeper. Uh, I grew up in the Shoals area of North Alabama. Uh, I was an only child. My mother died when I was six. My father was an alcoholic, and uh, we never went to church. So I grew up really bitter and angry at everyone pretty much and really made bad decisions uh, as a young adult. Uh, I really uh, was at a point in my life where I really didn't know what to do. And I certainly would be the guy you would not want your daughter to be dating. Uh, I did begin to date a 15-year-old uh, young lady. And to keep peace in uh, her life and uh, my life, especially uh, getting to eat her mother's Sunday lunch, uh, I went to church. That was a new experience for me. Uh, I was overwhelmed by the gospel and grace uh, and really was touched deeply by the story of the prodigal son. Uh, for me and my relationship with my dad, it was just incomprehensible to think that the Heavenly Father would love me unconditionally. And the image of seeing him standing on the porch and waiting for me to come home and then running to greet me and hug me when I came home was really just uh, overwhelming. So as a 17-year-old young uh, teenager, I trusted Christ. Asked him to forgive me uh, and to come into my life, and he did. And ever since that day, I've never doubted it. Uh, but I'll be honest with you, things were really hard the first uh, few years. Uh, for the first uh, year, I had to literally go to the table of contents in this book because I didn't have any friends named Isaiah. Uh, we got married at 19, and Barbara was 17, and... I was working three jobs to put myself through college. Barbara was working as well. Uh, and times were hard, you can imagine. But I was uh, incredibly grateful that God sent a man into my life that taught me how to study the Bible. Uh, and that made all the difference in the world. And, you know, as someone with no church background, uh, when I read the Gospels and Jesus told me something to do, I just assumed uh, that's what you're supposed to do. So... I began taking my faith to work, and uh, literally I was uh, all in. Uh, I saw myself uh, in the ministry just like any missionary or any pastor, uh, and that's the way I want you to see your life as a Christian. I want you to understand what your calling is, uh, and I want you to be able to literally take your faith everywhere, every day. I wrote a book about this subject. It's called Church Scattered, Christianity for the 21st Century. Uh, it's uh, really a 50-year practical application book about my Christian life and how I lived it out uh, all these years. Uh, it talks about personal leadership, marriage, parenting, uh, Bible study, prayer, taking your faith to work. Uh, I know the books will be available today, and uh, I would encourage you to get one. I think it will really, really help you. Uh, the book, uh, to me, is really just, again, a story about my Christian life. And what you need to understand is I, I realized very early on that there was a calling on my life. That calling had two parts. Uh, I was to know him and to make him known. Uh, you can see, uh, literally, uh, the passage that sets all this up is the great commandment. Uh, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said unto him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And one of the things in the book that uh, I bring out is that we literally as churches uh, have failed in the Great Commission. I think we all know that. 
The primary reason to me that we have failed in the Great Commission is we have undervalued the Great Commandment. Uh, We desperately need to restore Jesus Christ to his rightful place in our own individual lives. We need to return to our first love. And as churches, we need to put him at the top of the list, uh, higher than the new sermon series, higher than uh, special events or new programming or environments or anything that we've been talking about a lot. We've got to put Christ at the top. We've got to talk about him more than anything else. The church scattered really is just a way of thinking about your Christian life the other six days of the week, Monday through Saturday. It in no way diminishes the church gathered. The church gathered is extremely important. Uh, We gather for corporate worship like we're doing today. Uh, We gather for using our spiritual gifts as we minister to each other. Uh, We gather for biblical community and fellowship, and I promise you, you cannot get that on Zoom or social media. So prayerfully, soon, we'll all be gathering together again for an extremely important reason. But the church scattered is also very, very important. And you need to think about this as one church, not two churches. We're not competing with each other here. We're complementing each other. We gather on Sunday morning for worship and ministry And then we scatter the other six days of the week for missions. And that's literally the calling on my life. It's why I wrote Church Scattered, to help equip Christians to live out their faith the other six days of the week, starting at home, then taking their faith to work, and then also using their faith to have relationships with their neighbors. Uh, I've also spent uh, 50 years in leadership. Half of that time was in the corporate world. Half of that time was in church leadership world, both fairly significant responsibilities. Another way of looking at that is I've spent as much time in my Christian life in the pew as I have standing behind the pulpit. And I can say this to you this morning, I have never seen either one of those as more sacred than the other. They're both sacred. They're both important. But they're, they're both to be used by God to accomplish, again, our calling in our life. There's two major truths behind this calling that I want to drill down on, but I've got to talk a little bit about the context. It's kind of the elephant in the room. Uh, I've never seen a time in my life where things have been as crazy as they are right now. And I grew up in the 1960s in Alabama. That should say a lot. But things now are more different than they've ever been. We're experiencing incredible disruption. And that word disruption simply means that the change is so powerful and so dramatic that it has permanent consequences. And so any thought in your mind of when the election is over and when COVID finally goes away, uh, we'll be able to go back to the way it used to be. Uh, You'll never be able to go back. Things are permanently changed. And that doesn't mean it's all bad. As a matter of fact, you've got the greatest opportunity in your life through the disruption to make positive changes to make your life better than it's ever been as you live out your calling. Now, biblical disruption is all throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. The Father has always used disruption. And that should uh, cause you to be serious about what's happening but it also should give you hope for the future. I mean, think about it. In the book of Genesis, uh, we get through chapter 2, everything's good. By the time we get to chapter 3, we have the fall. And by the time we get to chapter 7, we have the flood. Well, that, that didn't take very long, did it? We go through the whole Old Testament of cycles between the judges and the kings of disruption and judgment and repentance and blessing again. We get all the way to the Gospels and Jesus Christ, the single most disruptive person ever, comes into the world. He lives a sinless life. He dies on the cross to pay for our sins. He is raised from the dead that he might conquer death, hell, and the grave. And you might think, wow, you know, what, what an incredible opportunity for us as Christians in the church to move forward. And literally, Jesus gives us the great commandment and the great commission to follow him. And then we get to Acts chapter 1. The fire falls, the power comes down, the church is born. 
signs and wonders are happening. People are coming to Christ by the thousands. And surely now uh, we're on a good path. We'll never have to go through disruption again. Chapter 7, Stephen is stoned to death for his faith. Chapter 8, verse 1, the persecution is so extreme that the whole church, other than the leaders, are scattered out of Jerusalem. Why would God either do that or allow that? Well, it's it's easy. They were not fulfilling their calling. They were not taking the gospel to the nations. So all throughout Scripture, God is using disruption. Now, he may not have initiated all that's happening today, but I can promise you he is using it. He's using it for our good and for his glory, and we need to trust him about that. Today, one of the most disrupted things in our culture is the family. There is literally a war on the family as we know it and the biblical priorities for it. We live in a post-modern, post-Christian America, and they're trying to redefine everything about the meaning and purpose of the family. When men who are sexual predators self-identify as a woman and can walk into a ladies' restroom with women and children present, folks, we're going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And I literally believe this morning that World War III has already started. But it's not a physical war. It's a spiritual war this time. And missionaries have encountered this uh, literally all over the world for centuries. Well, it's in North America right now. It's in Prattville, Alabama right now. And that's part of the disruption that we're going to have to adjust to. Now, this level of stress that we're under, and may last for a while. It may get worse. We don't know. This level of stress will take a good marriage to a bad place. If you're in a struggling marriage this morning, it can lead to failure. However, again, it can create an opportunity for you to make decisions about priorities in your life that can take you to a better place. And that's what I'm going to encourage you to do today. Now, if you want to go to a better place, there are two things that you must do. You must absolutely, completely surrender to Jesus Christ 100% as the Lord of your life. You've got to go all in. You've got to sign the blank check. You've got to do what I did uh, early on as a 17-year-old. And not only that, but you've got to assume responsibility for your own spiritual maturity and that of your family. You cannot outsource it to the church anymore. I literally believe that spiritual maturity doesn't even begin until you're getting more out of the Word on your own than you are through the ministry of other people. Now, don't waste this disruption. We've already paid a very high price, the stress level, the pressure on our marriages, on our children, at work, everywhere, our health. So don't waste this. Leverage it. Use it as an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to lead you to whatever the new normal is. It's going to include you fulfilling the calling that God has placed on your life. Now, this is a good time in this message to say to some of you that are watching or in the room that maybe in your second marriage or your third marriage, and I'm not here this morning to put you on any kind of a guilt trip. All I am uh, wanting to do this morning is to encourage you and to challenge you to make the marriage you're in the best it possibly can be for your good and for the glory of God. Now, the first major priority I want us to see today about your calling is this. Spiritual maturity in your life is number one priority about how God wants to use your marriage. And that is the knowing Him part of the great commandment. And literally what I'm saying is that God is going to use your marriage as the primary means for spiritual maturity in your life. And until, again, you understand what He's doing why he's doing it, how he's doing it, it will never make sense to you. Coming to church two or three times a month, uh, watching a few sermons online, uh, maybe checking out right now media, uh, having a 10 to 15 minute quiet time with a devotional and a little bit of prayer, uh, that's just not going to cut it anymore in World War III. I'm sorry, you're going to have to take it to that next level. Now, the Father created each of us with two needs that we desperately try to meet in our life. And these two needs, again, He, he gave to us. There's nothing sinful about them. We, we are wired to search for security. 
the unconditional love and acceptance that we desperately need. And everyone is looking for that. That's why we have so many religions in the world. That's why we have so many things that people are searching for to find this security. Also, we all want significance. My life has meaning and value. I'm here for a purpose, not just to earn a paycheck. Now, I could literally give you 20 different texts to support these two uh, items biblically, but what I want to do today is just give you a few out of Romans 8. Let's watch them. You can see them. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. One of the most powerful statements in all the Bible. You are forgiven and you are loved. Look at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Look at verse 28. One of my favorite ones beyond a shadow of a doubt. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. In the middle of this pandemic, you can claim this verse. For those who are called according to his purpose. And then look at the last one, another one of my favorite ones. What then shall we say to these things? All these things that are going on. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So we have security and significance that cannot be taken away. And what the Father does is to meet those two needs, he gives us through Scripture the biblical priorities to fulfill your calling as a Christian. Let's look at them just for a minute on the screen. The biblical priorities start with the Father being as uh, our number one priority. That's extremely important. Our spouse is our number two priority. Then obviously our children, uh, that's all throughout Scripture. Other family members are extremely important. We have a responsibility to take care of them. Christian community, that's our church. That's Christians that we know outside our church. Then we pivot to work relationships and how God wants to use us there. And then our neighbors, literally our neighbors next door, our neighbors, anyone we meet uh, at the grocery store or in the public area of life. So the number one priority that cannot be violated is the Father must be number one. Spiritual oneness understands this. We cannot expect other people or other things to meet our need for security and significance. We only can depend on God to do that. So let's see how this plays out in a typical marriage. Uh, and literally this happens for Christians who were not spiritually mature yet. That was me. Uh, this happens for unbelievers because we believe the cultural lie about marriage. And what uh, the cultural lie simply is, is this, that the number one priority, the number one important thing in your life is you've got to find the right husband or wife. So think about it. Out of 7 billion plus people, you've got to search and find that one person. And the culture says if you find that one person, then you'll be happy. Your life will, will be great. It will all work out. And then obviously if you have children, then that'll be important and Gosh, we've got to go to work, right, uh, and uh, make a living, and then, you know, our other family members are important. And, oh, by the way, if we are a Christian but an immature Christian, then church, the Father faith has got to fit down here somewhere. So we, we've got it down on the bottom of the list, and we understand our neighbors represent something of our responsibility to take the gospel out. So we start here. And literally for most people, uh, it can take from three months to three years. Uh, but eventually you're going to realize uh, this is painful. I mean, this is not working. Uh, I've, I've tried for months and years to change this person at the top of my priority list because I need security and significance, and I was counting on them to primarily give it to me. And they are not. And despite all my best efforts to fix them, it simply has not worked. And so what we do is we basically give up on our spouse. Uh, we literally have to get them down further on the list because the pain is simply too great. Now, one of the things you need to hear this morning, and uh, I had to learn this the hard way, again, when you expect anyone or anything to meet the needs in your life that only God can, you have an unrealistic expectation. And ladies, I can promise you, there is no husband on the planet that wants to be in the number one slot. They don't. And uh, gentlemen, uh, there are really not any ladies that want to be in the number one spot. 
we both may think we want to be that important in our spouse's life, but in reality, we don't. Because here's the deal. Uh, we cannot unconditionally love. We cannot unconditionally give significance. And if we're in the number one slot, the other person is looking to us for that. But here's what I need everyone to hear. If, if your husband is in the number one slot, he didn't put himself there. You did. This is more on you than him. If you've got your wife in the number one slot because you want her to be Mother 2.0, that's not her fault. You put her there. And so the unrealistic expectations that we have going into marriage causes this problem, and the culture reinforces it. And neither again uh, can any husband or any wife primarily meet these needs. So we move the spouse down the list, not working at all. We've got to put something else back in the number one slot. So this is what happens. Look at the next list. So we go to children. Gosh, that's a biblical priority. That's a good choice. Uh, career. Uh, we've got to, again, provide for our family, Christian community. Church is extremely important. Uh, we've got to get it high on the list. And then our family. And well, there's the father. He's still there on the list. But look how far down the spouse is. The pain has been so great in the number one slot that we've got all the way down on the bottom to protect ourselves from getting hurt again. Now, we try this for a while. We, quote, stay in the marriage for the children's sake. We, we convince ourselves that this is a temporary solution until things get better. Uh, translation to my spouse finally fixes themselves. But what begins to happen is this starts to break down. Because when you've got the children at the top, guess what? They grow up. And when they become teenagers, you may be ready to move them out of that slot. But this is something that begins to click in your mind. And you realize, hey... Very soon, they're going to grow up and go to college and have their own life. And the number one reason to me that most children have a hard time launching is not because they're not ready. Uh, it's because the parents are not emotionally ready to release them because too much of their security and significance is dependent upon being a good mom or a good dad. Same thing about work. I mean, gosh, uh, you know, you're killing it at work. And that's why we put these two things up here. Let's, let's be honest, uh, uh, you know, just for a minute. Most Christians are better at parenting and at work than they are in their marriage. And so we get security and significance from that. And it can literally even lead to the point that people in the number three slot get extremely active in church. I mean, they're there every time the doors open for worship. Uh, you'll see them get involved in serving in two or three different places. I mean, they're extremely active. And what is helping uh, them is they feel like that if I keep these top three things at the top, that it will compensate for these two things that are down at the bottom. But that's not going to work either. Because if you're making yourself this busy with your children, this busy at work, this busy at church, what you're really doing at the end of the day is you're simply trying to hide. Uh, you know, you're in corporate worship, you are serving, but you're not in community. You're trying to hide the pain and reduce the guilt of these two things being at the bottom of the list. But again, the hard, cold reality finally sets in. These children are going to leave. And I'm 52 years old, and I just got laid off from work. And I literally don't know what to do. And the reason why these things on the top cannot be the primary means of your security and significance is they are temporary. All these other things on the list up top are temporary. There's only one eternal thing on this list. And folks, I promise you, think about this. That's why we worry so much. We know they're temporary. We know they could be gone any day. And so we worry about all these things on the top that we might lose, and we desperately try to fix them so that they will last longer. But eventually, again, reality sets in. And eventually, Christians normally will seek out help with this exact situation as Christians because it's simply too painful. It's not working. 
and they'll go for counseling. I've been for counseling. Everybody needs to go to get help from time to time with things that are not working out. And I've counseled a lot of couples. Let me just give you the little pattern, okay? When uh, Christian couples will come for counseling, uh, the pattern is simply this. That's what I believe, so why would they not believe it? You know, if this other person that's walking in the room with me would finally accept responsibility for fixing themselves and they would begin to meet my needs, then everything would work out in our marriage. So it's primarily on them, not on me. And I'm here to provide expert testimony uh, in this counseling session about why that's true. So I listen to that maybe for about 10 or 15 minutes, and then I pivot the conversation because I want to literally get to a point where they think about their individual relationship with the Father. So I'll ask a simple question, uh, you know, what do you do when your spouse hurts your feelings? And I promise you they have uh, plenty of things to say about that. And again, after about 10 or 15 minutes of hearing what I've already said at my marriage and a lot of other counseling sessions, I begin to pivot the conversation. I want to drill down a little bit deeper about their faith relationship. So I say, okay, biblically, there are two things you should never do when you're in conflict with your spouse. Here they are. You should never stuff your emotions. That simply means you hold them down, you keep them on the inside, you go silent, you go hide, because that's unsustainable. Biblically, you're not to dump them either. And if you stuff them too long, particularly as men, they're going to eventually get dumped. And that's when we respond with anger and cutting words and literally, you know, hurt the other person. Now, here's the problem why this is so unbiblical. God gave you each other to complement each other. You are one. And because you are one, God says, okay, I want your strengths to cover her weaknesses. I want her strengths to cover your weaknesses. Now, when you're spiritually immature and you're trying to fix the other person, you use your strengths as a weapon to reveal their weaknesses. That's why it's so toxic. That's why it's so unbiblical. So I allow this to go on for a while, and I tell them, you know, let's look at what God wants us to do. There is another way that he wants this to work. So rather than stuffing and dumpling, uh, I want you to uh, share and not share with each other. It's too soon for that, too raw for that. Uh, I want you to share with the Father. And what I want you to do is tell him exactly how you feel. Don't clean it up. Don't put it in King James English. Don't only tell part of it. Tell all of it. Make it raw. Make it real. And literally for me, you know, I have said at uh, one or two times in my almost 50 years of marriage, you know, God, I'm, I'm angry as hell at her for what she said. And you think, whoa, I can't talk to God like that. I'm saying exactly. I know you can't. And why would I want to talk to him in that way? I mean, that's disrespectful. Uh, that, that is literally insulting. And what I would say to you is this. Knowing the Father now as long as I have is more insulting to him for you to use your King James English and not tell him exactly how you feel than it is for you to literally tell him all of it. Psalms 139 says he knows it anyway. And what bothers him more than anything is you don't trust him enough to be real with him. You don't trust him enough to tell him the truth. You don't trust him enough to share at all. And so he's wanting you to share everything, exactly how you feel, exactly what you think. And so in this sharing process, this is how it works. He will literally, and sharing really is nothing more than prayer. Uh, and in the process, uh, we're asking ourselves as we share, as we pray these raw prayers, we're really wanting to know with the Father, you know, okay, how am I doing? You know, how is this going to work out? And so what we do is we start sharing with him how we feel about it. Feelings are real. They're important. They should be shared. They should not be stuffed. They should not be dumped. And they need to be talked about. 
Okay? That's fine. Thoughts, logic, reason, left brain. A lot of men, you know, they want to talk about the facts of what happened or how many times it happened or when it didn't happen or whatever. And all during this time, the Father's just patiently listening to you. He's allowing you to trust Him more, to be able to say anything to Him that's on your heart because He already knows it. So if He already knows it and now you are trusting Him enough to to share it all, He knows your trust is growing in Him. And what He will do during this prayer time is He will shift eventually. I understand how you feel. I know what you think about it. But I want you now to tell me what do you believe about it. And what you believe about it is what you believe about the Father, about His character, about His caring, about His biblical truth that He has built into your life. He wants you now to literally shift the focus from your spouse and the person to hurt you to Him. And he, he wants you to get higher than your feelings and higher than your thoughts and literally to focus on what you believe to be true about the Father. All right, this is how it works for me. I literally will go through this whole process as I'm praying over every argument, everything that happens, and I literally get to the point where I say this. I'm extremely angry about what she said. I am. So I, I was telling that. Raw. This is, after all, not the first time I've heard the words always and never. Logic, reason, facts. But, but the Father takes me from my feelings, which I share, and my thoughts, which I share, and I love the word, but, in the Scripture, but God. But I believe, watch this, that I can never compare what anyone has done to me to what Christ has done for me. Now, folks, that's a powerful biblical truth that's been learned over a lot of failures in my life to get to this point. And if you just stop at the top and you don't even talk to the Father about it in a real way, uh, what that says to me is you're still trying to fix it. Anytime you're still communicating with feelings and thoughts, you're still trying to fix it. You're really not trusting the Father. Uh, you're trusting yourself. You're trying to be the Holy Spirit in someone else's life. And I encourage you, that's not a good decision on your part. Uh, you, don't, you don't have any credibility at that point. Uh, but the Holy Spirit does. And so don't get in between your spouse and the Holy Spirit. Don't live in the realm of feelings and thoughts. Live in the realm of what you believe to be true. Now, let's go back and see how this works. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very uh, angry about it. I'm upset about it. But this is what I believe to be true. Now, once you get to this level of spiritual maturity in your life, uh, you can begin to move the Father up the list to where He biblically is supposed to be. We're maturing in our faith. Uh, we literally learn how to become what I call a minority offender in our marriage. That's based on Matthew 7. And when you're spiritually immature, what that means is in Matthew 7 is you think your spouse has a beam in their eye and you have a splinter in yours. And what the Father is wanting you to see, no, actually it's reversed. Uh, They have the splinter, you have the beam, own your own stuff first. That's what He wants us to do. So literally there are times in marriage arguments where it is primarily the other person's fault. And you really are a minority offender. And so you're reaching a point spiritually, though, where you've grown and the Father's been in the first slot long enough that you reach a point where you literally are willing to apologize. So you walk into the room, you say to your wife, or this may be in the counseling session, this has happened hundreds of times, Uh, the husband might say, I'm sorry, I apologize for what I said, will you please forgive me? And it's awesome to see the Holy Spirit work, that they've risen to that level of spiritual maturity. And then the wife almost always will respond in kind. Uh, Yes, I accept your apology, and I do forgive you, and I own the fact that I should have never said that or done that either. Uh, I apologize, and will you please forgive me? And all of a sudden, you know, wonderful things start to happen. And biblically, here's what's beginning to happen. 
What these two people are now finally realizing is there are three people in this marriage. And the number one person <laughs> should be at the top of the list in this marriage. I, I, I'm seeing now how this is helping with my spiritual maturity. I see what he's doing. I see how this works. And so the idea is he's using my marriage to reveal things to me about myself that I would learn no other way. And that's true. That's exactly how he uses your marriage. So these two people, they apologize. They ask for forgiveness. Many times they will hug each other and kiss each other, and they're standing up, and, you know, they're ready to walk out. You know, life is good. Uh, you know, no problems moving forward. And I say, uh, let's just talk about one more thing just for a minute, if you don't mind. And what is happening here is, is they're missing the list. They feel like that they've done all they need to do biblically. They have confessed. They've asked for forgiveness. They have apologized. Uh, and literally what they don't understand is that the father is definitely uh, trying to use their marriage. He's using it, though, to reveal things to them uh, uh, that they would learn no other way. But here's the point. Not about their spouse and their relationship with them but about their relationship with him. That's what he's trying to reveal to them. So if a couple can get up after apologizing and asking for forgiveness and, and reconciling with each other, but get ready to walk out the door and not even thinking about reconciling with the father, then they really have not got the father at the top of the list yet. Uh, he, he's just something that they call on when they need him. And so they, they literally see this still primarily as about them and each other and not about him. And sharing ought to take you to the Father first. You share with him always first before you share with him or her. He gives you the perspective of what you believe to be true. And that's extremely important. And literally we get to the point now where we understand what the Father is doing. Now, the Father has shown throughout history from Genesis to Revelation, that there is a, a, a massive drama that is unfolding for the whole human race. It only has four acts. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Four acts. That's it. Now, for you, what you must understand today is, as far as your personal life is concerned and your drama and your story, there are only two main characters, you and the Father. That's it. That's how it all started. That's how it all ends. And what you understand, the plot of this drama is your personal redemption and restoration of your relationship to the Father. That's what it's all about. All of it. So with that said, your spouse, your children, your family, your co-workers... All the problems that you encounter throughout your entire life, uh, the problems of being terminated from work, the cancer phone call, all of it, all of life are secondary roles. And they are to be used by the Father to reveal things to you about yourself that you would learn no other way, but not with them or with those problems, but with Him. So all of life, all of your life is a love story. And your spouse is a key player in that love story because the Father will use them in a significant way more than anybody else in your life. Now, once we get to this point in the counseling, or once we get to this point in the teaching or the, the Bible study or the training or whatever in the equipping, I've had many people come back with this next list, and they think they're, they're really, really good. Okay, look at the list. Figure out where, where's the problem on this list. Can you see it? Okay, uh, they, they say I've got the Father in the number one slot, and that's the first time. You know, that's, that's a very good thing. Uh, children, obviously very important. Work, very important. Uh-oh, there it is. Spouse, number four. And I will say to him or her, this will never work. This is not sustainable. Just because the Father's in the number one slot, you can't have the spouse in the number four slot They've got to be moved to the number two spot. But you don't understand how he hurt me. He committed adultery. 
he had an affair with another woman. And I simply cannot trust him again to move him to the number two slot. Listen to me, please. I'm not asking you to trust him. I'm asking you to trust the Father. That's the problem with marriage. We're trying to fix it, and we're trusting our ability to fix it and the other person to change to meet our needs. It's never going to happen. So I'm asking you to trust the Father. And when you trust the Father, He will give you the grace to put your spouse in the number two slot. Let me show you why. Look at this statement. Uh, write it down if, uh, if you have a pen and a place to write it. The degree of your pain is in direct proportion to the priority you have given it. That's extremely important. The degree of your pain is in direct proportion to the priority you've given it. Let's go back and see how this works, okay? Uh, if uh, you've got spouse number one where we started, unbearable pain. That's why half of all marriages fail. This person cannot meet my needs. And so, you know, if you've got the children and work in number one and number two, again, the pain of rebellious teenagers, the pain of a toxic workplace, uh, it's going to hurt a lot because you're depending on it too much. You're asking it to give you things that it cannot give you. And so if you get to the point where you, again, have the father number one, he will give you the grace to put your spouse at number two. And here's what I've learned after, again, almost 50 years of marriage. If you have the father number one and you have your spouse number two, everything else will pretty much take care of itself. But you cannot violate the biblical priorities. And God will give you all the grace you need to deal with all the situations that life is going to throw at you. And literally, think about it. You have trusted the Father for eternity. Surely you can trust Him for today. And if He's trustworthy for all eternity, He's trustworthy to put your spouse in the number two slot. And you trust Him to do what only He can do to make your marriage all that it should be. And this is why, again, we're having such a difficult time today with Christianity in the 21st century because people are not seeing the reality of that in our marriages. And we have to own that. And that leads to the second major priority that I want to talk about today, and that is our gospel witness. It's the second part of the great commandment, to know him so that we might make him known. Now, this is very, very important. And it's extremely important about marriage and why God wants to use marriage as a gospel witness. Cultural Christianity defines us by a place we go, by the buildings we attend. And again, church gathered is extremely important. But in this culture that we live in today is, you know, the attractional model is, is simply dead. It's not going to work anymore. And so we're going to have to take the gospel out there each and every day where people live, work, and play. And I, as a church leader, will own this, and I apologize to you this morning. For years, we prioritized coming to church over being the church. And that has finally caught up with us. And we've got to flip that priority again, just like making Jesus and the great commandment our first priority over the great commission. Now, 1 Peter chapter 3, you may want to turn to it. You may want to look it up has a lot of biblical truth about marriage and your gospel witness. It talks about husbands honoring their wives. It talks about women uh, paying more attention to how uh, you, know, you are on the inside rather than how you look on the outside. And then finally it gets to verse 14. And it says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake. Now that term righteousness' sake is, is something you must understand. For most of my Christian life early on, I suffered for sin's sake. What does that mean? I made bad decisions, and I suffered the consequences for it. But I got to a level of spiritual maturity where I started doing the right thing for the right reason, and I still suffered. And that, that kind of hit me for a few years. You know, wait a minute. You know, I'm doing the right thing now for the right reason, and I'm still suffering. Yes, Jesus told us about that. So we suffer for righteousness' sake. We do the right thing. We get persecuted at work. We get made fun of at school. Uh, we suffer for Christ's sake. But if and when you should do that, you will be blessed because the Father's number one. Have no fear of them 
I don't care who they are, or be troubled. Look at the next verse. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense. This is your responsibility, your gospel witness, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So literally we're at a point where, you know, we're, we're now asked to share our faith, you know, when people ask us what is the reason of the hope that lives within you. The next slide says it this way. We're called to be witnesses, living epistles, to be known and read by all people. We're ambassadors representing the Father to the world. And as we take our faith to work, we become the fragrance of His grace. However, when Christian marriages are failing at a rate equal to unbelievers, we lose our voice in the culture. And that's why marriage is so important for our gospel witnesses. Exhibit A is compares Christ's love for the church and the church's willingness to follow Christ. The reason the warfare is so intense today is if the family goes down, then the church gathered and scattered will eventually go down with it. When they go down, then the gospel witness goes down, and the mission of redemption and restoration is negatively impacted in a significant way. Why did God choose marriage as exhibit A for the gospel? Bottom line, it's the most difficult personal relationship you will have in your life for most people. It requires the highest level of spiritual maturity. You have to unconditionally love someone that doesn't deserve it. You have to respect someone who hasn't earned it. It requires the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit on your life. The reason most Christians are not seeing that power manifested in their lives on a daily basis is they're not doing anything that would require it. And literally, you know, we have to understand what this next verse says. Our, our body is the holy place now. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And literally, we have to understand that these buildings are not the holy places. We are the holy places. And when I preach on this subject, I always use this illustration. And, you know, it always works. Uh, so I'll use it again today. Uh, we have three generations, 45 and younger, uh, that are not attending church, 85% of them on Sundays. And so I literally said to them, why, why don't we do something creative? Rather than serving coffee on Sunday morning, why don't we serve beer? And why don't we show R-rated movies during the service? And obviously you can tell people don't think that's a very good idea. They get very uncomfortable with that. And, you know, I say to them, well, think about it this way. Uh, many Christians will, during the week, in the church scattered time, go to these same R-rated movies with uh, the language, the sexuality, all of that. After the movie, go out for dinner and drinks and, and, in essence, do basically the same thing. So the message for me to all of you as Christians is this. If there's anything that would be sin to you that would occur in the church gathered on Sunday, it should be equally sin to you in the church scattered on Monday. Why? You are the Holy place. And this is why our gospel witness of making him known is suffering. If you can, by God's grace, consistently have a biblical marriage, every other major area of your life will fall into place. You can reach a level of spiritual maturity where your family is a ministry and your career is a calling. When you have that supernatural power on your life, you can deal with a bad meeting at work. You can deal with a toxic person at the grocery store. You can deal with the ungrateful teenager. I know life is extremely stressful right now. We're living in dark days. But I want to remind you that the darker it gets out there, the brighter the light within us is going to show. And people are going to ask us the reason of the hope that lives within us. Welcome to Christianity for the 21st century. Christianity in any century has always been about the same basic things. Every person that is a Christian acknowledges they are a sinner. And they realize they cannot save themselves. And so they are willing to repent, to confess uh, their sin to God. 
that doesn't mean telling him what he already knows. It means changing your mind about what you believe about your sin. You see it the way he does, and now you're wanting to turn away from it. Now, don't fall into the trap of thinking you need to clean your life up first and then come to Christ. No, you must come to Christ first and let him help you clean up your life. And so if you are willing to turn from your sin and trust Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead as the final and full payment for your sin, you can be saved today. Listen, if someone like me growing up the way I grew up can be saved and forgiven, there's no one out there that is hopeless. And so I encourage you today, trust the Father. He's standing in the porch looking for you to come to Him. He will embrace you with unconditional love and you will never be insecure again. I want to leave this today as we close in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you today for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for the fact that you loved us when we were so unlovely. I thank you for marriage. I thank you that you use it to meet so many needs in our life. And I pray that for all of us as Christians, we'll see just how important our marriage is. It's the number one way you develop our relationship with you. It's the number one priority for our gospel witness to the world. May we be faithful to it as you have been faithful to us. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, we're so glad Dan Greer could be with us today. What a powerful message. And if you just made a decision to follow Christ, we want you to know it is the greatest decision that you've ever made. And we want to help you with your next steps. If you'll text the phrase, my decision, to the number 94,000, we'd love to help you as you began this journey with Christ. Then we're going to bring our tithes and offering to God. I want to encourage you to trust God completely in this area of your life. We do that through our giving. Now, we've made this extremely simple. You should see a link on the screen and in the comment section below to the Journey Church giving page. There you can return God's tithe in our offering. If you need help learning how to give online, we have several videos on our YouTube page. Your giving allows us to continue to make an increasing impact for the gospel. And so take that step right now and allow God to bless your obedience. Again, thank you so much for joining us online today. We'll see you right back here next week. If you have kids, I want to encourage you to to hang out for Journey Kids. Pastor Nate and our family team have been working hard all week to provide a service just for them. And your kids are not going to want to miss what's coming up.